Friend, have you ever thought about starting a podcast? If so, Spotify's got a platform that lets you make and start a podcast so easily and then distribute it everywhere and even earn some money. It's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. And then you can distribute it wherever podcasts are heard. Even video podcasts are available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. But best of all, it's totally free and there's no catch. Ever since we've been using Spotify for Podcasters at A Wife Like Me, we've been able to triple our reach, reaching wives across the globe. And it's so simple. Again, we do this right from our computer. And again, you can do it from your phone. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or just go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters. Again, www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. We also found that when women feel emotionally close during sex, when they frequently orgasm, when there's high marital satisfaction, when there's no porn use, and when there's no sexual dysfunction, frequency takes care of itself. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. We are here for an all new special episode with our friend Sheila Ray Gregoire. This is going to be so exciting. You know her. She's been with us before. And we are diving into even, again, kind of what we've already built on, but so much more. And this is really exciting for us wives because we have a brand new book for husbands too. So welcome, mm-hmm. Sheila. I'm so grateful to have you with us today. Thanks for being here. Thanks. It's great to be back. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, uh, uh-huh. I'm really excited about this. So if you are listening, um, just remember, you can always watch us over on YouTube as well. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss this and make sure to share this with a friend because I know this is going to be helpful. Um, we've again built on this, but I want to kind of backtrack for those who are not familiar with you, Sheila. Um, you are an author, you're a speaker, and your husband, Dr. Keith Gregoire, um, you're not giving your opinions in these books. Um, you have, we're, we're going to talk about and dive into this survey that you've surveyed over 20,000 women and men on, which is so crucial, so important because you're not giving your opinions. Um, but you, your heart, your passion is to really redefine and restore the beautiful biblical picture of sex in marriage. And mm-hmm. we've sort of, uh, in the Christian community, not done a, a great job. And so you are here to really unearth and bring into the light the beauty that sex in marriage is. But in order to do that, we have to really understand what we've been taught and how that's not helpful. Um, so we're excited. And um, you have written already, we've talked about The Great Sex Rescue. I know so many of you have read it. I'm so excited. Thank you for doing that. Um, but you also have a whole revamped um, book, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, which it's a brand yes. new cover. Um, I don't yes. have that one yet, but I do now have um, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. So redone, um, expanded upon the good girl's guide to great sex. And now your husband joined you um, in the good guy's guy's guide, that's a tongue twister, to great (laughs) sex is now 
also available for our husbands. Yay! Mm-hmm. Yes. That's celebratory. Like <laughs> I found myself, you know, as I was reading both of your books, um, you know, I, I found myself like, oh, this, like, I can explain this to my husband, but I want my husband to have something that speaks to his language, right? And so I'm just mm-hmm. super pumped when I heard that the Good Guys Guide to Great Sex was coming out. So yeah. thank you. Um, so they're coming out the same day. How are they similar? How can you know couples use them together as well? Yeah, so um, I wrote originally the Good Girls Guide to Great Sex back in 2012. And I still like the original. But since then... I did that huge 20,000 woman survey and I found out, oh shoot, I've been talking about some things wrong. And um, when when my publisher came to me and said, hey, we would really like to do a companion book for men, I said, can I please, please, please rewrite The Good Girl's Guide because I don't, I don't like some of what I said. So they thankfully they let me. Um, so yeah, we did. And, and they are two very different books. Like a lot of people say, why can't you just write one book? But um, I just think, Men and women need different messages, especially because as we found in the great sex rescue, we're talking about a 47 point orgasm gap. Okay. <laughs> Me, like at its most basic, we have a 47 point orgasm gap, meaning that 95% of men almost always or always reach orgasm during a sexual encounter and only 48% of women do. And that means that the two groups need very different messages. Okay. Men need to be told, Hey guys, I know sex, it seems super easy for you, but you need to center it more around your wife if you want sex to be great in the long term and if you just want to be a decent person. (laughs) And women need to be told, hey, ladies, like this is for you too. And it's okay to want pleasure and it's okay to value yourself. And that's what I love about the the message um, in general through the theme throughout your books, because you're understanding why what you just explained is so difficult for us. And so, and like why there, there are like barriers to us mm-hmm. actually like living in what you just said. And so we need to understand what those are so that we can remove them mm-hmm. so that we can actually enjoy and mutually enjoy sex in marriage and it's in, in all of its beauty. So mm-hmm. let's start there. You want to, and you talk about how to redefine sex. And mm-hmm. if you are a parent, I really want you, no matter what, I just really mm-hmm. want you to listen because we have to, again, like I, as I was reading, um, you know, we, both men and women have a skewed, distorted view of sex. So let's first talk about what we, how we think about it and then how you want to redefine it and how you're aiming to do that through your ministry. Yeah. So if, if you ask people, did you have sex last night, which don't do that, that's super creepy. But if you do like they, it sounds like what you're asking is about intercourse, right? Did he put his penis into her vagina, move around till he climaxed? And that's what we think the definition of sex is. And so when we talk about waiting for marriage to have sex, we think about, you know, waiting for marriage for intercourse. Um, When we talk in the church about how much he needs sex, we're talking about intercourse. The problem with that is that intercourse, while he's 95% likely to orgasm there, she's not. And it really centers the whole experience around him. So if intercourse is all that sex is, you know, she could be lying there making a grocery list in her head. She could be in emotional turmoil. 
She could even be in physical pain or she could even be being coerced and it would still count as having sex. And so what we're inviting people to do is to go back to what the Bible talks about when it talks about sex. And it doesn't present sex as only intercourse. Like um, in Genesis 4, there's that weird verse, Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived a son. And it's easy to breeze past that and think that the Bible is just using a euphemism. But I don't think that's what's going on. Because if you look at the root word there for to know, yada in Hebrew, it's the same root in the Psalms when David says, search me and know me. God. And all throughout scripture, God talks about his relationship with us in sexual terms, you know, like, like, um, and so I think sex is supposed to be this deep, intimate knowing. So it's not just intercourse. It's this, it's this knowing. And we know from Song of Solomon that it's pleasurable for both. And we know from first Corinthians seven that it's mutual. And so when I think, I think we need to start talking about sex, not just as intercourse, but as sexual activity, which is mutual, intimate, and pleasurable for both. Mm. And if it doesn't meet each of those three criteria, then there's something wrong. Now, I'm not saying there's like, you can't have a quickie. <laughs> you know, sometimes you're going to have a quickie and she's not going to reach <laughs> orgasm or something. But your sex life as a whole should be something which is pleasurable for both. Mm. Um, and when we define it just as intercourse, we really do make it about his experience. And, and then she starts feeling like there's something wrong with me if I don't react to sex the same way he does. If I don't enjoy intercourse the way he does, if it's not as easy for me as it is for him, I must be broken. Mm. And so many women feel like we're broken when we've just forgotten it works differently for each of us. And it's okay to prioritize your experience too. Yes. I think that's a common theme I hear from wives is that we feel um, everything you just explained. And then also that kind of like leads into or results in this duty sex where mm -hmm. we're just, we've had this, you know, message like replaying in our brains that we're, it's what we're supposed to do. Like he mm. needs it. Therefore, like I have to, I'm supposed to, I should, I would. And then that's like obligatory and it takes the joy and the fun out of it. Um, so that's uh, obviously very freeing and encouraging for us. And it should be encouraging and exciting for us to hear this message that um, is so different than maybe what we've been taught. So let's talk about that survey um, again, because I find it very difficult to ignore what we're talking about, especially if you're like a Christian leader or maybe your husband's a pastor or whatever the case is. I, I hope and pray you don't push this to the side, what Sheila and her team have been working so hard on, because this is, again, not their opinion. This, this is, they've taken research surveys from couples, married couples, um, Christian and and ask them all of these things and this is so this is their the results these are the answers from our brothers and sisters in Christ and therefore we should pay attention because this is what's going on this is what women and men are feeling within marriage so we should care <laughs> and we should really um lean in and say like wow what have i been believing what have i been telling my friends my my family members my kids? Um, what have I been telling myself about all of this? Um, husbands and wives alike, and then um, dive into it and, and really grow from that. So from that survey, I guess, what is, what's the most interesting 
thing you found from that survey? Well, one of the things we really want to stress, and this is something I really changed in the updated Good Girls Guide as well, is that frequency of sex is a really bad measure of anything. And yet, when we, when if you if you're having marriage problems and you work in, you walk into a marriage counselor's office, one of the first things they say to you is, "So, how often are you having sex?" And if you say twice a week, then it's like, "Okay, check that off. That's fine." But how often you have sex says nothing. It just simply answers how often he orgasms. It doesn't answer whether or not she orgasms. It doesn't answer whether or not that sex is intimate. It doesn't say whether or not it was coerced or whether it was duty sex, whether they felt emotionally close. It doesn't say whether there's porn use. Like it says nothing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and what we found is that um, frequency is not the main story. And yet often, often we're told, oh, sex is really important. So you need to make sure you have a lot of sex, but having sex in and of itself doesn't do anything. And besides that, we also found that when women feel emotionally close during sex, when they frequently orgasm, when there's high marital satisfaction, when there's no porn use, and when there's no sexual dysfunction, frequency takes care of itself. Mm. Hold on. So, say that. Say that one time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So when there's high marital satisfaction, when she frequently reaches orgasm, when they feel emotionally close during sex, so she doesn't feel used or anything like that, when there's no porn use and when there's no sexual dysfunction, frequency takes care of itself. Beautiful. So if you're looking at a couple where there's really low frequency, instead of telling the wife, you need to have more sex, we need to start asking the question, why is her libido so low? Or why is his libido so low? Because it could be him. And that's what we try to do. Like in the Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, it's really aimed at, hey guys, <laughs> you know, let's make sure that you give her the kind of sex she wants to have, which means creating the kind of marriage that she wants to have. Because sex isn't just physical, it's also emotional. It's that spiritual connection, you know, so get rid of the porn use, get rid of the pornified style of relating, get rid of the entitlement. Um, make sure you take on your, your part of mental load in the household, <laughs> like, yeah. like do all of this so that she's actually going to have mental space to want to have sex, yes. you know, and then for women, um, address the areas which are causing you to not want to have sex. And for mm-hmm. some women, it's like, I just have internalized really ugly beliefs about sex. There's nothing, my husband's not doing anything wrong. <laughs> okay. I've just internalized really ugly beliefs. So how can I overcome those? Um, but also sometimes it's just making room in your life for sex. So not being so exhausted, talking to him about how you divide up the housework or how you divide up the mental load, um, you know, dealing with the porn use, et cetera. But let's get real about what the issues are, as opposed to just saying, have more sex, which really doesn't do very much. (laughs) Yes, right, right. And, you know, I hear the comment uh, or the saying often, you know, as Christians, we should be having the best sex, which absolutely. Mm -hmm. And the answer to that is not by more frequency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not how we yeah. have text. So I love mm-hmm. that, that you're, you know, aiming to redefine this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes too, the problem is not even something bad. It can just be mere misunderstandings about how we each work sexually. And that's why like in the beginning chapters, um, we really focus on 
what the sexual response cycle looks like and how to understand that. Think of, think of these books, The Good Girl's Guide and The Good Guy's Guide, as how would we rebuild sex healthy from the ground up? Whereas the great sex rescue is all tearing down all the ugly stuff. This doesn't really, these books don't really tear stuff down. They just build healthy from the ground up. And I think a lot of the issue that couples don't understand is that our sexual response cycles look, can look very different. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't mean she's not sexual if she's not raring to go right away. Yes. Um, it could just be, you know, excitement. You, you have excitement, which builds to arousal, which builds to plateau, which builds to orgasm. And then that leads to resolution. And somewhere in there is desire or wanting to have sex. And for some people, the desire comes before excitement. So that's what we might call a spontaneous libido, where you just look at them and you're like, come take me, baby. Okay. <laughs> and for some people, desire doesn't really build until you've been kissing and hugging and talking and teasing for a little while. And then you're like, oh, I could actually really go for this right now. (laughs) And that doesn't mean you're less sexual. It doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean, you know, he's more sexual than you are. And it also doesn't mean that like you're faking if you start kissing when you're not really in the mood. Because I think... Yeah, because I think a lot of women are like, well, I'm not in the mood and I don't want to lie. But, you know, for a lot of people, if you start kissing and if you start think like deliberately thinking about sex, then desire does grow. Mm, that's good. And, uh, I think mm-hmm. what, I, what we need as wives is is to understand that for ourselves, like you say. And again, what I love you and Keith, your husband together are speaking to the husbands in that to help them understand that too, because it, we are not taught this in the Christian community. We are not Mm -hmm. hearing how it all works and how our bodies are different and our sexual responses are different. And, Mm -hmm. um, like what that practically speaking looks like is so helpful for both husbands and wives to hear. I love that. Yeah. And cause I, I've seen this dynamic a lot too. And we address this one as well. Look, you get a husband who says, I never want my my wife to feel pressured, right? Like I never want her to feel like it's a duty. And so I am just going to not initiate and I'm just going to let her initiate when she wants to. And that sounds super selfless. But here's the issue. If she's more of a responsive libido desire person, you need to give her something to respond to. And by saying, I'm never going to initiate, you're now placing all the mental load and emotional labor for the sex life onto her mm-hmm. when she probably is already carrying most of the mental load for the kids and the housework too. So now she bears the mental load of having to get herself in the mood <laughs> when he could just do some of that. And so it's like, it's not necessarily being selfless to not initiate. Now you still need to be able to accept a no Okay, like, (laughs) like every guy and every woman, because it can be the woman with the higher sex drive or the more spontaneous libido. Everybody needs to be able to accept a no. But we should be being affectionate. We should be kissing, even if it doesn't go anywhere some nights. And and when guys stop doing that and leaving that up to her, that actually that that actually cuts her libido and it puts way too much pressure on her, even if they think they're being good. I also think what can come from that is, you know because our view of sex from the get-go has been probably not healthy, meaning if there's what it translates to is if there is any hint 
of physical intimacy, it's going to lead to my husband ejaculating, him Mm -hmm. orgasming, and myself maybe not. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, any physical affection, I've heard that from wives too, becomes, um, they're hesitant about it because Mm -hmm. they are not able to just actually enjoy the, the kiss or that touch. Um, because there's like this association that if we do that, then this is what it's going to lead to. And I'm not, you know, I've got 5,000 things on my brain and I'm not really, Mm -hmm. I can't get there right now. And when it could be like, I just actually want to enjoy this right now. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't have a pressure to have to go fully, you know, actually have intercourse right now. I just actually want to enjoy this kiss with you or whatever. It's such a different mind frame for both husband and wife to enter into it. I love it. Yeah. And also understanding that, you know, even if it does lead to intercourse, she probably is going to need to sit at the kissing stage for longer than 30 seconds. You know, she's probably going to need to sit there for a lot longer. And, and foreplay doesn't mean you go right for the clitoris or you go right for the breasts. Like that feels like a pap smear. If you go right for the vagina when she is not aroused at all, it's like, you may as well give her a pap smear. It's not a pleasant experience. <laughs> you know, It's so like, funny. Like, but this not. is what you do more in the arousal phase of the sexual response cycle. In the excitement phase, you don't touch those erogenous zones. You're touching her hair. You're kissing her neck. You're kissing her earlobes. You're kissing her. You're just saying nice things and you're warming up. And for some women, that's super quick. And for some women, it's going to take a lot longer. Um, but none of that means you're not sexual. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's important for women to understand. Okay, I'm, I'm saying it now. I'm just speaking this now. You and Keith need to write. Are you ready for it, Sheila? <laughs> Premarital curriculum. Mm-hmm. We're working on that. Our next oh, book yeah. is yeah. Our next book is a premarriage. Well, it's sort of like a premarriage marriage book, but it's going to be both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. There yeah. you go. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. I. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um. Okay, let's talk about pornography. This is a huge mm-hmm. issue in marriages, huge issue in non-married Christians mm-hmm. and non I mean, it's it's everywhere. Um, how and like how do you see pornography um, and even the messaging around pornography when it comes mm-hmm. to Christians, you know, hurting marriages? What can we do to really break free from that? I mean, what do you want to tell us on that topic, I guess? Yeah, I have a couple of of ways that I would prefer that the church talks about it instead of the way that we do. I think we frame pornography as a sin issue. It is a sin issue, but it's far more a justice issue. Okay, Mm -hmm. pornography is the biggest contributor to sex trafficking. So when you're watching porn, you are contributing to the abuse of men and women and often children. Um, And it may not seem that way because there is so much quote unquote consensual pornography out there. But studies have shown that most consensual pornography is not consensual. And there's no way to check or verify if it actually is consensual. And even some of the women who sign up for these consensual sites, the vast majority of them are sexual assault survivors. And so it's a trauma response. Do you really want to feed a trauma response? And I think we need to remember these are real people. And if we talk about it as a justice issue, I think younger people will listen more. When we talk about it merely as a sin issue, we frame it in terms of shame. And I think that we need to frame it in terms of you are hurting real people. (laughs) 
Um, So I I think that's a big thing. The other thing is, um, two more things. Porn use is not as high among married Christian men as we're often told. And that's an important distinction. Okay. So we found that 50% of married Christian men, roughly 50% currently have a relationship with porn. That is very high and it's terrible, but it's not 80%. And I've heard people throw around 80%. 80% do have a lifetime porn use, but not currently. And I think that's important because when we say 80%, we make it sound like this is so normal, there's no point in fighting it. Mm. And the truth is it isn't normal. And we should expect that Christian men have lower porn use than non-Christian men. So if non-Christian men are sitting at around between 60, around 65, 60 to 70%, depending on what survey you're looking at, we should expect to be lower than that when you're looking at married evangelical men, as opposed to just non-Christian men in general. Okay. So that's, that's number one. But number two, and this is that what we found is that while porn is really destructive, porn, the destructiveness of porn is more about how you see women. So it's more about the what, what Andrew Bauman calls the pornified style of relating. So when guys believe that they're entitled to sex, like my wife is obligated to give me sex when, when I want it, that she should have sex with me so I don't watch porn, that lust is every man's but When guys believe these kinds of messages, porn becomes much more harmful. And even when guys quit porn, those harmful effects are still there. But if guys don't believe those messages and they quit porn, you don't see a lot of harm. <laughs> like you can quickly get back to to sort of in the same marital sexual satisfaction as if they hadn't used porn. Is it because these, you know, men who are believing that, well, this is my, this is my battle. I'm a man. So I struggle with this. Is it because it's like that self-fulfilling prophecy? Like, well, this is who I am. So I struggle with it kind of thing. Yeah. I think what, I think the problem is that saying that lust is every man's battle says that the male sex drive is the same as the objectification of women, that they're one in the same thing. And so it's a way of looking at women. Women are sex objects. They exist to serve me. It's my needs that matter. And I am here to consume women, including my wife. And when you see it that way, that is going to have devastating effects on your, on your marital satisfaction, on your sexual satisfaction. Sex cannot be intimate when it's about her serving me so that I get my needs met. And porn accentuates that, but you cannot ever watch porn and still have that mindset. Yes. That is Um, so true. Yes. And in the church, we largely teach that mindset. (laughs) And so we need to get over that idea that, um, that, that men just simply lust when they're in the presence of a woman with cleavage showing. Um, Mm. And we need to get back to the idea of learning how to value women as whole people, because that is the way out of this porn mindset. Um, I love the story in Luke seven, where Jesus has been invited over to a Pharisee's house for dinner and they're there, they're trying to trap him. And while he's there, 
the sinful woman comes in and pours perfume on his feet and anoints his feet with oil and is crying and, and, and rubbing his feet with her hair and her tears. And they're all judging him because does he not know who this woman is? And he turns to them and he asks this question, do you see this woman? And I think those are my favorite words that are ever out of Jesus's mouth. Do you see this woman? Because he's telling them, you're just, see, you're just judging her as, you know, an object, as a sinful person. And he's saying, do you honestly see her? And the question that I think Jesus is asking men today is, do you see your wife? Do you see her for who she is, for the fact that she has her own needs, wants, and desires and preferences, and she doesn't exist just to serve yours and just to fill yours? You know, do you see who she honestly is um, as a whole person, not just as body parts? And do you see other women that way? Do you honor other women that way? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when we when we start talking and encouraging men to truly see women as opposed to just consuming women, <laughs> that's when things really change. Mm. That's that's beautiful and it's needed. I think um, you know, in the church I've had experiences unfortunately where it it, you know, um, men walk into a room and I'm in there working or whatever and um, there's an immediate response on their part to to leave the room or to, oh, oh, sorry. And like, sorry, you know, like um, just these experiences that you just myself have had, has had. And I can only imagine for the audience listening, different um, ways that maybe we internalize, like you said, and feel shamed for being a woman. And we did mm-hmm. nothing, we did nothing to... Mm-hmm. Um, invite that. It's just because I think, again, to get back to what we're talking about, because of this teaching that we've had, um, and men have had, it's almost like they are, they're so trained to just automatically think they're doing something wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. by being in the presence of a woman or, you know, um, even being able to, sometimes I've noticed men are unable to look beyond, um, Uh, what we look like or, or just the fact that we actually have all these other facets to ourselves. And it's sad. And we want to raise a generation that is, is understanding what we're talking about. And Mm -hmm. um, again, just thank you for this because it's needed. We crave it. Women feel it. um, And yet we don't know how to help our brothers Mm -hmm. and sisters again, kind of move forward. And so it's just so needed. Mm -hmm. Um. What can we do as listeners, as viewers? Um, how can we help? And many of you do not, you know, aren't familiar with Sheila again, but I'll just very briefly share, you know, her and her team have, have done so much work <laughs> behind the scenes to help Christian marriages, marriages in general, but Christian marriages specifically and how we've again gone off path and how we can restore this beautiful message that God has laid out and this has designed for us within marriage. And unfortunately, the, the, the research that they've done is not being um, valued. And I want to know as, you know, a, a person who's, you know, running a marriage ministry for wives, um, what can I do? What do you desire uh, our listeners and viewers to do to help 
spread this beautiful message mm-hmm. um, that God desires us to hear and to live out. What can we yeah. do? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So just for context, right? Like we, we, for the great sex rescue, we surveyed 20,000 women and we found that certain key evangelical teachings really harm women. And we've talked, we've talked about some of them, like the obligation sex message, like all men struggle with lust, et cetera. Um, and we called out some of the biggest evangelical books and ministries that spread these messages. Cause we looked at, we looked at the evangelical bestsellers and found where these messages were. And, um, what's really cool <laughs> is that people love our book and it's selling really well. Like if you want to just take a look, please, like whatever you're doing right now, go to Amazon, type in the great sex rescue and just read the reviews. Like there's, I think there's 12 or 1300 right now. And women will tell you how much this is transforming their lives. Like they're just amazing. So please go read the reviews on Amazon. And if you've read the book, please, please leave a review. Cause that helps as well. Um, you know, and now what we've done is we've surveyed men as well. Um, and we've written what we think are healthy books. And so we're hoping to get those out there. So, you know, a big thing you can do if you have, a, if you know a couple who's just getting married, get them the good girl's guide or the good guy's guide to great sex. That That's a big help. Um, if you know people who are struggling, please get them the great sex rescue. That's a big help too. But the big thing I think is just understanding that it is okay to speak up. I think a lot of us feel like there's nothing we can do, but there is a lot more of us than there are of them. That's what I want. Like seriously, women, like there are so many more women who are really sick of the modesty message and blaming women for men's lust than there are the people that are spreading it. But it can seem like we're alone. And so if you're on Facebook and someone says something stupid, it's okay to just chime in and say, "Mm, that's not what I think, because you embolden other women to do the same thing. You know, if you're, if your pastor is planning a love and respect conference at your church, it's okay to go to him and say, I will not be going. This is a dangerous book. Here's why. And Mm -hmm. to post on Facebook about it and tell your friends. And I think if we all just started speaking up, things would change. It's like the emperor's new clothes. You know that story, right? Like, so the emperor, <laughs> the, the emperor has no clothes and because th- the tailor came and told him that these were the most amazing clothes in the world and they were so rich and fine. And so he believed that he was wearing them and he went out to show the kingdom his new clothes. And everyone is just applauding because they're like, well, I think he's naked, but I must be the only one until a little boy says, look, the emperor has no clothes. And then everyone starts laughing. And <laughs> I think we forget that there's that we are the majority. And if we stop accepting the bad messages and the bad books, and we start demanding better, it will happen. It really will. Um, and And if, and if you're in a super unhealthy church, you know, look for a healthy one. Like for instance, the porn stuff, um, we've had a lot of people say that they don't believe our stats, that they're too low, that, what the men they know, 80 to 90% of men do use porn. And I would say they're probably right because porn use exists in pockets and the pornified style of relating exists in pockets. And so there will be some churches where 80 to 90% of men use porn and there will be some churches where 20% of men use porn. <laughs> and you want to find the 20%. <laughs> like you want to find the churches that are healthy because there are some churches that because they're constantly preaching, 
you know, that, that all men struggle with lust, that women need to cover up, that women need to provide sex to their husbands, that sex is something that men need that women don't. Um, so they're teaching this entitlement mindset. Then, yeah, guys are going to watch porn because they're not being challenged not to. Yes. And even if, even if they're told porn use is bad, they're also being told that it's natural to objectify women, you know? Yeah. Like, it's funny, Gary Thomas is one of the the best selling marriage authors. And he and I were good friends, really, but he read an early copy of The Great Sex Rescue, and he wouldn't endorse it because he didn't agree with what we said about lust. And in his newest book, Married Sex, he quoted an, a now discredited neuroscientist who said that sexual thoughts flicker through a man's brain all day, so that he's always at the ready to seize a sexual opportunity. And women need to understand this about men, that they're always ready to seize a sexual opportunity. Like that's rapey, first of all, that's terrible language. But then he also talks about how it's a good idea to send nude photos to your husband so that neurologically he fixates on you instead of other women or porn. It's like, that is not safe. That is a pornified style of relating. Yeah. Yeah. It's feeding that message that they, that it's like a drug. And yeah. that live in a healthy way with it. it it's mm-hmm. eating what we're trying to help break free from. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so when you hear people say stuff like that, when you see a book with stuff, it's okay to say, you know what? I don't want to study this book in this, in this book study. If you study this book, I just won't come to the book study. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Or like just if we as women start speaking up, things will change because there are more of us who feel this way. There really are. We are the majority. Yes. That's so helpful. I think we do, we do need that encouragement. And I thank you for that. And I just, um, you know, even when the great sex rescue came out, I bought, I think, I don't know how many, co- a lot of copies. <laughs> I brought it, you know, I brought them to different various people um, within our community that, I really wanted to have a conversation with about it, a good one and um, key people. And they, their response was so great about it. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage you to do that too, you know, um, read them for yourself and then um, think about, yeah, who might need or want this? Um, because also we don't even know who might need to find freedom in these different places. Mm-hmm. Um, even taking marriage out of it, like just individually married or not, mm-hmm who could benefit from this? Um, Mm -hmm. And I love that encouragement too, to just speak up on social media too, and say something. Um, I find myself slowly becoming more able to do that. (laughs) But I I need to be reminded that I'm not alone. And um, it feels like there are a lot of people against me or us or whatever, and uh, not understanding the beauty in what you're fighting for. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not alone. We're not alone. So good. Yeah. And it can feel like we are because pastors often preach from the same playbook and all of the marriage books say this, <laughs> except for ours. So get healthy ones, you know, but, but we're not alone. And, and most women do see the problems with this stuff and we want healthier marriages. And most guys do too. Yes. Like guys are not all like this either. And so let's, let's expect more of men because men are pretty darn good. <laughs> like, yes. You know, men are capable of of self-control. Men are capable of selfless behavior. Men are capable of loving their wives. Um, and so let's expect that. 
Yes. And let's set that standard instead of instead of expecting men to always be full of sin that they never get over. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like there's freedom. There is freedom and health and abundance. And that's not a message. I, we're not, we're not hearing that. Um, so I love this, love this so much. Um, Sheila, where would you, where do you want us to go to get these books? Because you just tell us where, do you want us to go to Amazon website? Anywhere you want. So they're sold anywhere. So anywhere you normally buy books, good girls, guide to great sex, good guys, guide to great sex. Um, you can also go, you can find me at to love, honor and vacuum.com is my blog and the bear marriage podcast every Thursday. Um, so we're talking about those, those books all the time. Um, and just how, how we can get a vision for good sex and how we can start well for couples too. Um, because the messages that we've given about sex have really messed up the honeymoon and for so many couples. So <laughs> let's figure out how we can start well and do it better. <laughs> Speaking of the honeymoon, can you just touch on that? Because I know that's a, that's a big point for us. And I know many Christian women and men who have you know grown up in the church don't understand, they don't hear the message that you're trying to unearth and, and uncover mm-hmm. for us. What, what is up with the honeymoon that kind of can set us in the wrong direction? Yeah. So what we're told is just wait until marriage and sex is going to be awesome. And of course, we define sex as intercourse, right? So intercourse is what we're waiting for. But think about it. Your wedding day is the longest day of your life. It's followed. It's following like the most stressful couple of months of your life as you get ready for that wedding. And then you end up at this apartment or hotel room or wherever you are. And it can feel so awkward. And for most women, the first time is not the best time. Now, a lot of people, of course, get married and it's not their first time. But even even then, it can feel very awkward. And so what we really recommend (laughs) to people is instead of aiming for intercourse, aim for a three-step plan, okay? And number one is just feeling comfortable just feel comfortable naked together. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then figure out her arousal. So figure out how to get her aroused, even bring her to orgasm. And only then have intercourse. And some people are going to be able to accomplish that in one night. And some people are going to take several weeks, even months, doesn't matter. (laughs) But do it in that order and you set yourself up for decades of great sex. But when we just aim for intercourse, we often um, create really negative patterns and associations, especially for her. And then he starts thinking she's broken. And, you know, one of the big findings that we had as well is that when we look at couples who have only ever had sex with each other and we control for abuse, if you wait for the wedding, you're 25% more likely to have vaginismus, which is primary sexual pain. So I'm not arguing that you should have sex before the wedding. What I am arguing is that the way that we do the honeymoon increases sexual pain because you're having sex and it's awkward. It's like major obligation. Like now we're married, I have to do this. Whereas if you have sex before the wedding, you usually have sex because you were making out for a long time and you got aroused and then it happened. Right. Yeah. So, so again, I'm not, I'm not, I still do believe that, you know, sex is best in marriage and meant for that, but we need to change the way we talk about it and aim for it yeah. because we are starting really badly for a lot of couples. 
That is so true. I, I did not become a Christian until I was 29. And so I, but so even not growing up in the church, I can see that messaging and the, 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 the mapping of that and where that might lead. And we, yeah, we see that. And so then it's a struggle. And then we are struggling not only physically, but emotionally as well with all the feelings that come with now having, you know, intercourse within marriage and it not even feeling good. That's just awful. And we can do so much better. Yeah. Um, So that is, that's, that's awesome. And again, we can't help people though, like who are about to get married if we aren't, you know, helping them out. So Mm -hmm. I'm pumped that you guys are coming out with a new, you know, new books to help these couples Mm -hmm. who are getting married. I'm like so excited about that. So needed. So good job. Um, Oh, Sheila, thank you so much. Um, anything else you want to share or add before we close out? Um, no, just that I, I really think that um, women, <laughs> it's okay to value your own pleasure. And a lot of the reasons that we struggle is because we think of sex as something which is about him. And if you've never figured out what all the fuss is about, if you've been struggling to enjoy it, if you see it as a duty, believe me, I get it. And I'm not trying to make you feel like this is one more thing that you're doing wrong. That's not it. It's just, I I want you to know that there's a way forward and a way through that where you get to matter too, (laughs) because you do matter. And I just want you to hold on to that and, and research it, look into it, just believe it. Because you were meant for more than just to feel used. Yes. Oh, so good. So good, <laughs> Sheila. Thank you. Thank you to you and your husband, Keith, and for all of the unseen hard work and I'm sure tears and hopes and prayers that you guys have had over these books and just what's to come. And um, again, just I know I've already thanked you, but on behalf of everybody. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I thank you for helping us um, shed light on the topic Mm -hmm. and just to be able to experience more beauty and health and freedom and joy in this Mm -hmm. area. Um, This tough work is required for us to get there. And so um, thank you for that. We appreciate that. Thank you. It's been great being here. Yes. So to love, honor, and vacuum.com, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. So head over there again. We'll link Sheila. We'll link the books um, in the show notes as usual, like we always do. And um, share this with a friend, ladies. Um, Share this with your husband. Get these books. Um, Just dive in. Let us know if you have any questions. Um, But you're not alone. Um, It can be exciting. It can be an adventure, a learning time for you and your husband and just lean into it and enjoy it. Um, thank you again for listening to another episode or watching on YouTube. Hey, um, we love you. We're here for you. And we will see you back next week for an all new episode. Sheila, Ray, Gregoire, again, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Amanda. Bye-bye.